We showed the kids a short slideshow in here, and their parents were here, and we had a mom come up, and she was just dripping in tears. And she said, I, I didn't know how badly we needed this. I didn't know how bad my kids needed this. And she's like, I don't even have words. And so to those of you that worked behind the scenes, you worked in the spotlight, some of you, all the things. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I know that there was a team of people that was praying for us. A huge gift. So thank you to everyone who made that possible. What a beautiful thing we got to do. Um, we got to announce to them that they could come back to a dinner in the park. And we had kids swarming right here to me to make sure I had their parents email so that they could come to kickball and dinner in the park. Um, and so that is my next invitation to you guys. Would you come to dinner in the park this coming Wednesday at 6.30 p.m.? You're going to bring your own dinner, and we are just going to have our head up and look around and see what God might do to extend this work that he's already begun here. Um, in addition to that, we get to be together and just enjoy some fun stuff and fun times together. So mark your calendar for that. We'll be at Briar Park. You can kind of look for Brookview signs. We'll put up some A-frames just to give newer families that confidence that that's where we are. Um, and Trevor will be bringing the fun. So I'm... Yeah. <laughs> um, so a bit of a, a transition here. Um, this morning, we get to watch a video message from a woman named Jen Ashbury, Ashby. Ashby, yeah. Um, it's from a conference that Jason and I got to go to a couple of months ago in Nashville, Tennessee. Yeehaw. Um, we got to gather with about four or 5,000 other pastors and church leaders from our denomination. Um, for those of you that don't know, we are a part of a larger church family called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And this video that you're going to see is what we sat in the audience listening to back in May. And I thought that the timing on this message would be really cool considering what an amazing week we just got off of with Soccer Club. Um, she talks a bit about the church and it being set apart for God's purposes and how when we are serving, we are building with God. And as I watched this video on Wednesday this past week in order to prepare for what church might look like today, we were smack dab in the middle of Soccer Club and I was exhausted. And after listening to Jen speak, and possibly because her name is Jen, and so she says Jen a lot of times, and so it catches my attention. Um, but I was deeply moved, and I was inspired, and I felt such a deep gratitude for this Brookview family and for who you are. And it is just such an honor to work alongside of you. And I hope that as you watch today, you just feel a small part of that, too. Um, as I mentioned on your way in, hopefully you got some paper and a pen, um, or you brought your journal, or you have the notes section of your um, phone or your tablet with you. Um, but we're going to engage with this message in some kind of specific ways this morning. And what I want us to do is, while you're listening, I want you to jot down things that stick out to you. Okay, You don't have to know why. If it sticks out, just simply jot it down. 
Um, and then I realized that for some of you, if you write something down, this is Jason Huguenin, you get distracted and you hear nothing else because you're so busy writing something down. So if that's you, don't take notes. You're probably an auditory learner. So just listen and you'll have a moment to kind of write down what sticks out to you later. So two different ways depending on what kind of a person you are. Um, and then one last thing, at the end of her message, um, for some kind of technical reasons, I'm going to read to you her prayer that she wraps things up with, and then we're going to engage in worshiping together. Um, if you're watching at home, and you would normally be done watching after the message, and you'd just kind of go off to your day, I really want to encourage you to stick around, stick stick with us for all of it today, since we're going to be doing some reflecting um, on what we've heard as part of our worship together. All right, here is Jen Ashby from the Opryland Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. I love it. I love it. Good evening, Alliance family. What a joy and a privilege to look to God's word with you this evening. After I said yes to this invitation from John and began anticipating this date, I started thinking about the lead up to another date. In 2019, Terry Smith invited me to be part of an Equipping You Live event. It was a panel discussion about preaching. And the other panelists were Mitch Kim, Ron Morrison, and Jonathan Schaefer. All people with much bigger platforms than me, much more preaching experience than me, more education. And I said yes to Terry, but I had some serious doubt that I really had anything valuable to add to the conversation. And the night before I flew out for this event, as I was driving across town, I was praying and saying, Lord, you got to give me something. You got to give me some word to get me through this experience. I'm not sure exactly what I was hoping for. Maybe something like, Jen, you've got this. Or maybe I was hoping the Lord would give me something profound to say, something that has never been said about preaching before so that I could say it, drop the mic, and leave the platform. <laughs> but what I actually heard Holy Spirit say was, get ready, average. I had recently heard a talk from Liz Bohannon about embracing your average. Now, before you jump to conclusions and assume that I was discouraged by the fact that the Lord told me average, I was actually encouraged because I thought I can do that. <laughs> I don't have something to say about preaching that's never been said before, but I can be average. That is my wheelhouse. That is my sweet spot. But isn't that the good news of the kingdom and the good news of 1 Corinthians that God takes the weak things and the foolish things and the things that are not. He takes the average things and he intersects them with his spirit and he can do something significant. So if you are feeling average tonight, maybe even below average, <laughs> take heart. I want you to know that part of what I hear God saying as I have been leaning into him for this night is basic. 
basic. With that in mind, let's pray together. God, we honor you as Lord of lords, as Lord of the church, as Lord of this expression of your church, as Lord of our lives, and we agree together it is good for all of us to be under your authority. And we agree together that you deserve our first allegiance, our full attention, and our fondest affection. We say a fresh yes to you. We say no to your adversary. May his schemes be exposed and unraveled in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, Settle down on us now and enable us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16 to 17, we find these words. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. The church at Corinth, comprised mostly of Gentiles, was very familiar with the concept of temple. They lived in the shadow of the temple of Aphrodite. And Paul was likely writing this letter in Ephesus in the shadow of the temple of Artemis, And of course, he received his Jewish education in Jerusalem in the shade of the temple of the Most High God. These were people who understood temple. It was the meeting place, the connection point between the supernatural and the natural. But in these New Testament kingdom realities, instead of pointing to a building as a temple, Paul is pointing to the church the people of God for the purposes of God, and saying, church, you together are the temple, the dwelling place of God. In other places, Paul will talk about individuals as the temple of God. Surely God is with us as individuals, but in this text, he is saying, church, you together are the temple, the dwelling place of God. The God who exists outside of time and space, God who is creator and sustainer of all things, God who is both author and fulfiller of all of salvation history, does not make his dwelling in a physical building. He makes his dwelling in the church, the collective believers in Jesus. And the church is expressed in local gatherings of all sizes, from Indonesia to Ecuador to San Francisco to Philadelphia to Neighborhood Church in Rockville, Maryland, where I have served for the last 15 years. And the church is expressed in our local ministeriums of churches from different denominations and no denomination, worshiping and working together. And the church is expressed in our district alliance families, And the church is expressed in our national gathering here, and we could go on and on. Together, we're the church, the dwelling place of God. And in case you are missing how amazing this is, Paul says it plainly, this is sacred. God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. 
sacred, set apart by and for God, precious to him. The fact that Paul is saying this to the Corinthian church in particular is especially encouraging because this church was famous for its issues and its problems. (laughs) So if your church has problems, take heart. Your church is struggling to regroup coming out of COVID like our churches, take heart. The church is still sacred. Set apart by God, precious to him. There are many things scripture does not call sacred, but the church is sacred. This is an objective reality. In the Alliance, we talk about the sanctification of the believer as both positional and experiential. When a person places their faith in Jesus, they are sanctified, set apart, made holy, positional sanctification. Then the believer enters into the process of actually living out that sanctification, coming into alignment with those realities, experiential sanctification. And it would seem that what is true for the individual is also true for the collective, the church. The church, God's temple, is sacred. That's positional. And now we enter into the process of acting out, living out that sacredness together, coming into alignment with that reality. That's experiential. 1 Corinthians 3 is about actually living as God's sacred temple. Live as God's sacred church. We live as God's sacred church when we consider all servants. Everyone's a servant. The chapter begins with Paul's disappointment, his frustration with this church, and their jealousy and quarreling and factions and divisions just like the world. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 3, beginning in verse 5, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. Consider all servants. No celebrities. Servants. God is the hero. He's the one who actually makes things grow. Richard Foster differentiates between service and being a servant. He says, when we choose to serve, we are still in charge. We decide whom we will serve and when we will serve. But when we choose to be a servant, we give up the right to be in charge. When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when we will serve. We become available and vulnerable. Available and vulnerable. 
I grew up in Kansas, and a few years ago, more than a few years ago, I was attending a church in Wichita just for the summer. And I don't remember the name of this church or the name of this pastor, but I remember a line that he kept repeating in a message on servanthood. And the line was, it doesn't take a special spiritual gift to pick up paper towels off the bathroom floor. And he said this so often, I got a very strong impression that this was a real and ongoing issue (laughs) in this particular church. Paper towels on the floor that no one would pick up. And so years later, as I walked with God, offering myself to him as a servant in the church, in the community, in the world, Sometimes God prompts me to do things outside my service that are small, perhaps, that may not be seen by many or by any. And when I hear that prompting, no matter what it is the Lord is asking me to do, what I actually hear is, Jen, pick up the paper towels. (laughs) But sometimes... As I'm walking with God, as I'm offering myself to him as a servant in the church, unity in the world, he will prompt me to do something outside of my service that is seen, that feels a little bit like sticking my neck out. And so on this Tuesday night, I need to be equally willing to be back down the hall picking up paper towels off the floor or to be standing in front of you (laughs) on this platform and on this live stream. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I'm honored to stand among you, many of whom I know, and I know your faithful service You plant, you water, you do things within your normal service and outside of your normal service when that is what the master prompts. And you do the quiet, humble things behind the scenes and you do the brave, scary things up front. You are faithful. Listen again to these words from verse eight. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, They will each be rewarded according to their own labor. Take heart. Take heart. The master knows the reward is on the way. To actually live as God's sacred church, we consider all servants and we consider all builders. Everyone's a builder. Picking up in verse 10, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light." It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. 
If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. We are all the building. We are also all the builders. Together, we are God's temple, and we are building the temple. So important to keep both of these things in mind when we're thinking and talking about the church and to be cautious about thinking or talking about the church in third person as if we're not part of it or as if we are above it. We are all the building, but we also consider all builders. Of course, Jesus said, I will build my church. But in this text, we are builders. This is amazing (laughs) that in some mysterious way, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is building something together with us, something that is sacred because it's the dwelling place of God. Earlier this spring, before Easter, I was out in the neighborhood sharing information about an outreach we had coming up and our Easter services and opening day of the farmer's market at our church. And I had been at it a while. And I was getting tired. And those driveways started, started to be steeper. <laughs> and I felt like every front door, I had to climb a flight of stairs first to get there. And then I heard Holy Spirit say to me, Jen, we're building. We're building. And this idea that somehow the Lord and I together were building something, something sacred, energized my spirit and energized my body. There are surely times to stop, to rest, to regroup, to make sure we are abiding in Christ and living out of that overflow. But when it's time to dig deep and lean in and press on, I hope you hear, we're building. We're building. We're building something together, something sacred. Consider all builders. We're either building on the foundation of Christ using gold, silver, and costly stones, maybe by building real relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus, having those gospel conversations, having kingdom conversations, taking faith-based risks, or we're building with wood, hay, or straw, perhaps by chasing strategies or models that are not God's plan for us or by always attending to the urgent, never getting to the important. Or there are some in our churches who aren't building with much at all, who are not really engaged in our life together around the purposes of God. There are so many alliance workers, both those in vocational ministry as well as those in lay ministry, who are building faithfully with the best materials. Listen to this piece written by Terry Smith earlier this year. 
A few weeks ago, I was visiting churches in Puerto Rico that have proven to be resilient through hurricanes, earthquakes, and now COVID-19. Many of these pastors are joyfully bivocational, often with wives working full-time jobs so together they can faithfully fulfill the call of Jesus on their lives. This is the typical alliance worker. I think of friends of mine who serve in an alliance church in a small town. They labor faithfully, devoted to the Lord and to one another, and shepherd the flock to reach out to their community. They scrambled to establish an online presence during the pandemic that they didn't have before. You wouldn't know their names. They aren't likely to serve on Dexcom or the board of directors, nor is the pastor's name likely to be considered for district superintendent. They are anonymously walking with Jesus and doing whatever it takes to fulfill his call on their lives. That's a typical alliance worker. About a year and a half ago, Ruth and I had the high privilege to minister at the Joint Teams Forum in West Africa. International workers traveled to Senegal for our time together from places where they're putting their lives at risk, trying to reach people for Christ because that's where he's called them to serve. They aren't living paralyzed in fear, but resolutely going about their God-given assignments. You might know their names, but they aren't famous, just faithful. That's a typical alliance worker. And here's a piece from Betty Morajon. A young college student, typically scheduled to close on most weeknights at his job, doing his best to keep up with the demands of his classes while still making time for his mom and for the girl he hopes to marry one day, makes sure his Wednesday nights are open to faithfully volunteer with the youth group and dedicates many of his vacation days to mission trips or to local and district youth events because he wants other young people to know the same hope he's found in Jesus. That's another typical alliance worker. All you builders, all you builders, listen to this again from verses 13 and 14. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been, been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. Take heart, take heart. The Father knows and the reward is on the way. There is so much encouragement packed into this chapter, but I cannot gloss over the sober warning. It's in the context of jealousy and quarreling, factions and divisions that Paul says in verses 16 and 17, don't you know, you yourselves are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Humble, Self-controlled engagement, yes. Jealousy and quarreling, no. 
Respectful disagreement. Yes. Factions and divisions. No. This warning, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. This warning is not something to take lightly. What God has called sacred, we are to treat as sacred. To actually live as God's sacred church, we consider all servants, we consider all builders, and we consider all ours. Paul goes on, verse 18, do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. The Corinthians had gotten all wound up with this idea that there was some worldly wisdom out there that they didn't have, or maybe some of them had it, but not all of them. Paul reminds them all real wisdom was available to all of them in Christ. They had also gotten all wound up with this idea that they had to choose a camp, either the camp of Paul or Apollos or Cephas, and Paul reminds them all the good gospel teaching, all the good gospel influence coming from any of these people was available to all of them. They didn't have to choose. The idea that wisdom or influence, or other things are fixed and limited, that idea is a trap. It leads to jealousy, quarreling, factions, divisions, obsessing over how we're going to divide up five loaves and three fish. Doesn't make a lot of sense when we remember just by willing it Jesus can multiply them exponentially. It's when we think about things as a zero-sum game, that's when we get into trouble. It's when we think about things as one finite pie of a particular size we have to divide up among ourselves, that's when we get into trouble. It's not a zero-sum game. God does not run out of resources or favor or opportunities to join him in what he's doing. We can consider it all ours. In saying this, I am not trying to dismiss or explain away or spiritualize away very real conversations and decisions. All of us in our local contexts have discussions and choices about how we will live together as God's sacred church, how we will go about God's purposes together. That does sometimes involve choices between things, decisions about priorities or timing or budgets. 
But if we can engage in that discernment from an abundance posture rather than a scarcity posture, if we can engage in that discernment as people sitting on the same side of the table looking at the situation rather than as people on the opposite sides of a table playing tug of war, then we'll be better positioned to avoid jealousy, quarreling, factions, and divisions. We'll be better positioned to actually live as God's sacred church if we consider it all ours. As I was meditating on this passage, Holy Spirit brought to mind the end of the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son who squandered everything has returned and the father welcomes him, has the servants prepare the fattened calf and throws a party. The older son son comes in from the field. He finds out what's happened. He is angry. He refuses to come in. He says to his father, you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And the father's response begins like this, Luke 15, 31. My son, the father says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. All is yours. Everything I have is yours. Many of you know how inheritance worked in the time and place in which this story is said. You know that that statement was pragmatically and economically true. We could preach a whole other sermon about being heirs, but listen again to the Father. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. It wasn't about the calf or the goat or the inheritance. It was about being with the father. Now I know that tonight I've stressed the reward parts of 1 Corinthians 3, but the real reward is all are yours and you are of Christ. And Christ is of God, the real reward is that he's with us. He makes his dwelling with us, the temple, the church. It's sacred. Together we are the dwelling place of God. And we are to live that way. It's basic. Let's pray, who are we, God, that you would make your dwelling among us? Together, you've made us your sacred temple. Holy Spirit, would you show us clearly and specifically if there are ways you're calling us to greater ways to treat your church as sacred? Show us specifically where you're calling us to build with some better materials. Fill us. Strengthen us, enable us to dig deep and lean in and press on. And Holy Spirit, some of us are just tired. Our hearts are aligned. Our minds know these truths, but we're weary. And we feel that if you do not meet us, if you do not fill us, we simply cannot go on being and building the church. 
And so we need you, Holy Spirit. Come, minister to us.